you want to just find out what we're what what we've been doing? What is, uh, yeah, camera we and microphone? From Montana Public Radio, this is Subsurface, resisting Montana's underwater invaders. I'm Nikki Willette. About the same time that invasive mussels first showed up in Montana, they were conquering a new part of Wisconsin. Okay, how do you want to start? Big Mackenzie is the first lake in this part of northern Wisconsin that's tested positive for zebra mussels, an invasive species that's caused millions of dollars of damage to hydropower dams and irrigation systems and fundamentally changed how people interact with their favorite lakes and rivers. The invasion on Big Mackenzie started small, but within a year... So now we're into the thousands on, on Big Mackenzie. Sandy Swanson is on the board of directors for the Mackenzie Lakes Association. She and Kathy Erickson, who's on the board of a county-level lakes association, point through the trees. Maybe we could just point out some of the geography here. Mm -hmm. And tell me who's responsible for managing every lake nearby that could end up with zebra mussels. So um, there have been some logistical coordination issues here as we try to fight these zebra mussels, but I think there's been great cooperation. Mm -hmm. Me, being on the next lake, scared, I think it's not enough. Frank Hull lives a few minutes south on Lipsy Lake. We got one lake in this area that's got zebra mussels. Why aren't we doing something? We're going to let it get in the surrounding lakes? Frank would throw everything at the mussels, put up gates at infested lakes to ensure that people clean, drain, and dry their boats when they come off the water. He'd nuke the lake with chemicals, with the hope that the mussels would die, but everything else would come back. Ed Fisher, who lives on Spooner Lake, 15 miles down the road, agrees that more could be done, but... We don't have the laws right now that would allow you to uh, put up gates, <clears throat> and I don't know if we're going to get I doubt we'll get those in anytime soon. No. Would, would you even want to see laws like that? I know that Wisconsin has the public trust doctrine that it means that all of your waterways remain open for the whole public. I would like, my, my um, first goal is zebra mussels don't spread. Inconvenience, I think, is secondary to keeping these things contained. Everyone in this circle agrees that the goal is to stop the mussels from spreading, but there isn't consensus about how to do that. This is where Montana is right now. There are a lot of different groups, state, tribal, federal, local, and non-government, all working to keep the mussels out, but they're all working under different systems, with different rules to follow and different ideas about how to move forward. Today in Subsurface, we're asking, where are we cooperating, and where are we entangled in bureaucracy? This is episode three, Shell Games. When the mussels were first found in Montana in October 2016, the detection sparked an eruption of activity at the tribal, state, local, and regional level. We are going to focus on the state's muscle response because the two reservoirs that tested positive are managed by a state agency and most Montanans will be directly affected by the state's decisions moving forward. Montana has been screening boats at inspection stations, one of the few scientifically proven strategies to help block aquatic invasive species spread, since 2004. The problem was, across the entire Big Sky State, there were only 17 inspection stations. 
and so you could avoid them um, if you knew where they were pretty easily in some cases. Tom Booz is the former Aquatic Invasive Species Coordinator for Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. When he came on in 2014, the program's budget to inspect boats and sample lakes was a little over a million dollars a year. Meager as it was, Tom said the program worked pretty well. Nothing new in my under my leadership. Um, no new species. But then, in October of 2016, everything changed. Do you remember the moment when you first learned that mussels had been found in Tiber? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got a phone call from um, BOR, Bureau of Reclamation, and my heart sank. My stomach tied up in knots. Uh, I knew that my life was going to be drastically different. And it was. <laughs> The Federal Bureau of Reclamation had found some shells in Tiber Reservoir. It was kind of an intact shell, but it was definitely degraded. They couldn't tell species. The Bureau thought the shells belonged to either zebra or quagga mussels, so they sent the sample for DNA testing. At the same time, Tom says Fish, Wildlife, and Parks had a basement full of backed-up samples from July that hadn't yet been processed in its lab in Helena. The lab is supposed to run all the samples from the entire Missouri River, in addition to all of Montana's samples, and there was a staffing shortage in the lab that summer. And we recognize that the, the need is much greater than our capacity. Fish, Wildlife, and Parks prioritized the Montana samples and started looking under the microscope for more of the telltale glowing X's that mean mussels are present. And they found them in very low densities, just a couple per sample, in test tubes from Tiber Reservoir and then samples from Canyon Ferry Reservoir and the Milk and Missouri Rivers came back with suspect detections. This was in late October 2016, and Tom says at this point, the public still didn't know about Fish, Wildlife, and Parks' discovery. I would say in the beginning, Fish, Wildlife, and Parks wanted to be absolutely certain that we had what we thought we had, and that takes time. Fish, Wildlife, and Parks told the public on November 9th Tribal governments and federal agencies took action within days. Glacier National Park officials have temporarily closed boating on park lakes as a precautionary response to the discovery of larvae from invasive mussels in Montana waters for the first time. Another news this evening, Confederated Salish and Kootenai Tribal Chairman Vernon Finley says declaring a state of emergency over the threat of invasive mussels is needed to best protect waters on the reservation from those critters. Blackfeet tribal leaders have closed reservation waters to all watercraft due to the recent discovery of invasive mussel larvae in Tiber Reservoir, which is east of the reservation. Fishing from the banks is still allowed. In December, Governor Steve Bullock declared a natural resource emergency and put together an incident command team to coordinate the three state agencies that play a role managing invasive species. It's the same setup when the state responds to a wildfire, when lots of different managers are involved. In fact, a few people with leadership roles had a background in fire, but nobody in charge had expertise in aquatic invasive species management. That's a part of the response that rubbed Tom Boos the wrong way. As the former Aquatic Invasive Species Coordinator, he would end up implementing a lot of the decisions that this team made. I think that the, the AIS program should have been more of an integrated part into incident command from day one. It, it was clearly lacking, and there were a lot of things that were 
inefficiencies that were built from that. I mean, people were recreating wheels that had existed and operated just fine for weeks and weeks and weeks. This went on. Tom was terminated by Fish, Wildlife, and Parks in August 2017. The agency won't characterize why. But Randy Arnold says during that initial rapid response period, Tom was exactly where he would be the most useful. Randy is a regional supervisor for Fish, Wildlife, and Parks and one of the co-incident commanders. Tom was in a unique role in that he wasn't responsible for overseeing who was going to be doing operations, who's doing payrolls, what meeting rooms we're going to be meeting in, and just the infrastructure of the team. He could actually float between all those different task forces and had his fingers in just about all of it in, in the most appropriate way. It was really kind of a nice mix. By now, it was December of 2016, and Randy says the team only had a few months to revamp the state's aquatic invasive species program and get it up and running before the start of next boating season. They had to figure out the details of opening twice as many inspection stations as before, deciding when and where to sample lakes for early detection, and they had to hire and train 160 new boat inspectors before March. Randy says the rapid response team knew their plan would need a once-over with a fine-tooth comb later. Our, our purpose wasn't to be perfect. Our purpose was to get our arms around it as best we could and have the clearest understanding of what we might do for setting up that really robust response. The term that I use most often with my team is, don't worry about polishing the cannonball. Randy and Tom both say this was an incredibly stressful and hectic time. There was a lot of pressure from within Montana and states to the west of us to act quickly and stand up an aggressive program that would protect not only Montana's waters, but everything downstream as well. By January 2017, the rapid response team handed off its program recommendations and a funding request to the legislature and set about implementing their plan. Stick with me for a minute on this tangent. There's a set of commercials from the 1970s for Fram oil filters. The idea they're selling is that if you regularly maintain your car with Fram's $4 oil filter, you'll avoid paying massive repair costs later. And I bring it up because of how they end all of their commercials. Well, choice is yours. You can pay me now or pay me later. That's true with invasive species, too. You can pony up for prevention measures before they arrive, or you can pay significantly more in maintenance after they get here. For context, repairs to hydropower dams from the impacts of invasive mussels cost Great Lakes states more than $3 billion in the 1990s. In comparison, Montana's Mussel Task Force asked for $11.5 million over two years to run the state's new beefed-up invasive species program that focuses on prevention and early detection. The big question in the last session was how we were going to fund standing up the program that the governor's task force had recommended for the legislature. Chaz Vincent is a Republican senator from Libby who found the funds. Figuring out where to pull the money from was a rodeo for a hot minute, Chaz says ideally, invasive species funding would be permanent, and it would come out of the state's general fund. The way to make it as fair as is possible is to pay for this program out of the general fund. But that wasn't really an option in 2017. The state was already feeling a budget crunch, and there wasn't enough money or political willpower to appropriate the $11.5 million Incident Command had asked for. Instead, Chaz says legislators had to create a new stream of funding, and they had about a week to do it. 
In the end, legislators looked at who would end up being hardest hit if the mussels were to infest more lakes in Montana and tried to find a fair way for them to pay for prevention. So when we started talking about who are those and what infrastructure is is you know standing to lose the most should this spread hydroelectric facilities and the consumers of that power were first in line. The bill sets up three new fees, one on hydropower dams, a second on electric co-ops, and a third tacked on to fishing licenses, $2 for in-state fishermen, $15 for out-of-state. The fees add up to almost $14 million over the next two years to scale up Montana's invasive species program. It was, it, it was everybody kind of had to hold their nose and vote for it. We knew that we had to do something, but um, knowing that it wasn't perfect, no bill really is. We didn't have a lot of time to make it perfect, but we would do a stopgap measure for the next two years, come back and revisit it comprehensively. Chaz adds that there's not really a clear example of how Montana should fund its Aquatic Invasive Species, or AIS, program, because every state does it a little differently. Wisconsin allocates some of its gas tax money to AIS prevention and monitoring. Minnesota assesses a county tax that raises $10 million a year to help counties fund local prevention programs. And Idaho requires boaters to purchase a sticker. $22 for motorboats, $7 for non-motorized watercraft. Idaho budgets $3.5 million for its program each year, with federal grant funding on top, like Montana. Chaz says he'd eventually like to see a more permanent funding mechanism for Montana's program, but he says what legislators passed will work for the next two years. The cost of doing nothing last session would have been much greater than what we ultimately ended up with for two years. So I think we're going to have a whole new uh, worldview on how the state should best respond to zebra mussels next session. And all of these funding mechanisms are, are sunsetted for next session. You can pay me now or pay me later. So Libby State Senator Chaz Vincent's bill drummed up the funding, but state agencies still needed direction for how to spend it. Representative Mike Cuff, a Republican from Eureka, had several ideas. The really big thing was expand our monitoring programs, expand our boat check station programs, and and that's expensive. Mike has been getting bills passed about aquatic invasive species since 2013. But his 2017 bill is a magnum opus born out of Montana's shift from muscle-free to muscle-positive. And everything we had talked about suddenly became bigger and scarier. Mike's bill makes it mandatory for all boats and equipment, like docks, lifts, and trailers, to stop at inspection stations along state border crossings and the Continental Divide. These mandatory inspections are one of the few scientifically proven measures to help block the muscle's spread. His bill also requires boats coming off of Tiber and Canyon Ferry Reservoirs, the two lakes where microscopic baby mussels were found, to get an inspection and a decontamination wash if needed. Inspectors now have the authority to hold a questionable boat until it's cleaned and decontaminated, and the fines are bigger for violating any of the state's aquatic invasive species laws, up to $10,000 for some infractions. Word should be getting around that you have to have your boats checked. If you're bringing a boat in from outside Montana, if there's one thing I can emphasize to your listeners, 
anybody bringing a boat into Montana from out of state has to have that boat checked before they launch it in the water. That is their responsibility. Getting a boat inspected is a requirement everywhere in Montana, but there are some places with even stricter regulations. For example, you can't use felt-soled fishing waders on the Blackfeet Reservation. Glacier National Park makes you quarantine your boat for 30 days before you can launch on the park's lakes. On the Flathead Reservation, gas-powered boats are banned from almost all lakes and rivers. Mike's bill directs state agencies to better collaborate with the many other authorities in charge of waterways. This is a way to pull them together to give them a united focus, a shared focus. And the brainstorming that's going on, I think, is huge. There are now a few councils that meet every couple months so managers from different agencies can compare notes about sampling and boat inspections. One is set up to advise the governor. Another brings together all the groups trying to keep mussels out of the upper Columbia River Basin. That's the last major watershed in the country still free of the mussels. And there's a sense of duty for Montana to do its part protecting the headwaters. Do you think that the measures outlined by by your bill, but also by what Fish, Wildlife, and Parks has been doing and what the DNRC has started to do, are those measures enough to keep zebra mussels and quagga mussels out of Montana? I'm not foolish enough to say that. And we do have great efforts, and we had a, have a significantly improved program. Bulletproof? No. Some gaps? Yes. Some ways to improve? I think so. Montana has won awards for its muscle response and drawn praise for how quickly it doubled the size of its inspection and monitoring programs. But even with the beefed up regulations and a fleet of inspectors, there are still gaps where muscles could slip through. We'll hear what some of those gaps are after the break. Stay tuned. This is Subsurface, Resisting Montana's Underwater Invaders, a podcast from Montana Public Radio. We're in the middle of episode three, Shell Games. You can find previous and future episodes and check out pictures and video from Nikki's trip to the Great Lakes on our website, mtpr.org. Do you have questions about the underwater invaders? Maybe we have the answer. You can send us your questions via our website. Click on the subsurface logo at mtpr.org or contact us through Facebook or Twitter. Did you know dogs are part of the strategy to find zebra and quagga mussels? After the break, we'll go on a walk to see if we can sniff out the invaders. We're back. This is Subsurface, Episode 3, Shell Games. On paper, Montana's Aquatic Invasive Species Program comes across as aggressive. Boat inspections are mandatory for all watercraft. Decontaminations are mandatory for boats coming off our two muscle-positive reservoirs. Law enforcement is authorized to chase down boats that try to bypass check stations. And we have hefty fines for people who violate our regulations. But in practice, there are chinks in the armor. If we don't get serious very quickly um, with mussels in Tiber Reservoir, it is simply a matter of time before we're, we're infested. Karen Miskey is the executive director of the Flathead Basin Commission. So if we're going to keep them out, now is the time. We don't have any more tomorrows. We don't have any more next weeks. 
Um, it, it's, it's now. We have to do something now, today. The Flathead Basin Commission, which is tied to the State Department of Natural Resources and Conservation, has been working with tribal, federal, state, and non-government managers in the Flathead Valley since 2007 to keep invasive mussels out of the headwaters of the last major river system in the country still free of them. In that role, Karen has seen firsthand some of the gaps in the state's invasive species program. One is that the boat check stations lining the perimeter of the state and straddling the continental divide are still porous. Many times what we have found is that although we may have inspection stations on the perimeter, um, sometimes they don't operate every day. They certainly are not operating 24 hours a day. And what we found is that um, based on the stations that we operate is that we're still getting mussel-fouled boats at these stations. In fact, the Bissell threads from an adult mussel were found on a boat at a check station on the Blackfeet Reservation in 2017, which means somehow it got past a boat inspector elsewhere in the state. Karen acknowledges that staffing some of the more far-flung inspection stations, like the one out in Weibo or Culbertson, can be challenging. But she adds that the state should also figure out a better system for enforcing its invasive species laws, especially for the people who drive past the highway inspection sites. One of the things we've found is that we're still having, in certain spots, you know, drive-bys. Uh, there was a drive-by this summer where the boat, in fact, was chased down and it was muscle-fouled. So um, not having sufficient enforcement officers on the ground does impact the quality of the program. Finally, Karen worries about Tiber and Canyon Ferry Reservoirs, the two lakes where microscopic baby mussels were found in 2016. Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks closed both reservoirs to boats immediately after the mussels were found, but opened them back up for the 2017 season and even issued permits for fishing competitions. Boats coming off of Tiber and Canyon Ferry are either supposed to get decontaminated or promise not to visit any other lakes. But Karen says that doesn't always happen. We did find uh, numerous boats um, from Tiber that uh, showed up um, on our side of the divide without being decontaminated, and, and that, is, that is also a concern. So um, the local boater program for Tiber and Canyon, as currently configured, um, probably also needs to be shored up. Perimeter Containment Enforcement. Those are Karen's main concerns after the beefed-up 2017 inspection season. Despite these concerns, Karen says groups are working together in a way that didn't happen before the muscle detections. There, I think, um, has been in the last year or so um, increased communication with uh, the state, in particular uh, increased communications with Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, and perhaps more of a willingness to partner with, with local entities. Um, you know, I think it remains to be seen what, what that looks like and how that turns out, but I, I think there is um, a greater willingness to do that in the last year or so. But at the same time that groups were busting through bureaucratic barriers, the state government was facing a budget crisis. The Montana Department of Natural Resources and Conservation recommended to stop funding the Flathead Basin Commission at the end of 2017, though the decision is not yet final, as we had reported in an earlier version of this episode. It's unclear how or if the Basin Commission will raise the money to keep its work going.
Muscle invasions tend to follow a predictable timeline. A year or so after microscopic villagers are discovered, adult colonies start to pop up in full force. But one year after Montana's detections, managers haven't found so much as a speck of zebra or quagga mussel DNA. Yes, good boy! <laughs> We've even sent out mussel-sniffing dogs to look for mussels in places that human eyes might miss. Where we perceive as humans the landscape visually, our dogs perceive the landscape with their noses. Cindy Sawchuk and her black lab, Hilo, work for Alberta Environment and Parks. The Canadian agency has a few dogs trained to locate invasive species as part of the province's early detection program. So effectively, they're an additional tool to help look for these invasive mussels. Cindy and Hilo searched Tiber and Canyon Ferry Reservoirs in October, when the water was drawn down low enough to expose any potential adult mussel colonies. Cindy says Hilo only found the decoy mussels she placed on the beach to test him. Fortunately, we have not found any evidence of adult mussels growing. Some parts of Canada around the Great Lakes have found invasive mussel colonies. But directly north of Montana is still in the clear. Cindy says that's thanks in large part to Montana and other western states' proactive aquatic invasive species programs. By the time boats arrive in Alberta... They have gone through several inspection stations because the United States, Montana, Idaho, Wyoming have really good aggressive programs in place. So by the time those boats traveling from south of the border have made it to Canada, they're pretty aware of the program. Tom Wolf says that the absence of new muscle detections proves that the changes Montana made to its prevention and monitoring programs are working. Tom heads Montana's new Aquatic Invasive Species Bureau in the Department of Fish, Wildlife and Parks since the spring of 2017. The program more than doubled in a very short period of time, uh, so it was a huge challenge, um, but extremely successful for the season. Fish, Wildlife and Parks hired and trained 160 people to man all those new inspection stations. Those inspectors checked 80,000 boats, and they caught 17 that had mussels on them. Now that we're closed, uh, the, the watercraft inspection stations are closed for the season, um, we have time to plan, and, that, and that's what we're doing for next season. Those plans include working with partners to standardize boat inspections and streamline data sharing. That could look like an app that allows inspectors to log information in real time so that when a boater pulls through, their entire inspection history can be called up. Planning also means analyzing data collected last season to know exactly where to place inspection stations and how early to open them up for snowbirds returning to Montana with boats that may have overwintered in infested waters. It's critical that they get their boats checked when they come back because a boat that sits in Lake Havasu over the winter more than likely will have mussels attached on it um, when it comes back home. Tom's looking for ways to plug those gaps that Karen Miskey pointed out, like shoring up the border defense and strengthening enforcement. But he frames the issue a bit differently. Yeah, if, if inspections are too difficult and onerous, uh, they will find a way to get around you. They'll wait till the stations close when it gets dark. They'll find a different uh, road to go around a station, a back road or something. So it's incumbent on us to make the inspections as quick as easy, and easy as possible. And, and that's, that's our goal. We, we don't want to inconvenience the public. That's not our intent. Um, we just want to make sure this stuff isn't being moved around. In Tom's view, the inspection stations are there, of course, to check stringently for any invasive species. 
But the inspectors are also there to educate people that there's a new normal when it comes to boating. At some point, people who use the water need to take that responsibility on their own shoulders. It's a human-caused problem, and for the most part, it's people moving boats around that are responsible. So, you know, changing boating habits so that every time your boat comes out of the water, it's clean, drained, and dry is basic. And by doing that, you help, you do your part to help protect the waters of Montana and, and the region. What managers like Tom are trying to do is kind of monumental, if you think about it. They're trying to change culture, and they're trying to do it in a matter of months. So far, one year after detection, it seems like they've been successful. But as one lab tech told me, we'll need to find no mussels for a long time before we can say for sure that Montana is muscle-free. In the next episode of Subsurface, we'll take a look at what Montana's options are if the mussels show up again and what it means to be invaded. This episode was reported and written by me, Nikki Ouellette. Thanks to Corin Cates Carney and Edward O'Brien for additional reporting. Nora Sachs is our associate producer and mixed this episode. Eric Whitney is our editor and executive producer. Josh Burnham is our web editor. Subsurface is a production of Montana Public Radio with financial support from the Solutions Journalism Network, a nonprofit organization dedicated to rigorous and compelling reporting about responses to social problems. Learn more at our website, mtpr.org.